Uh, so what's going on, Renaissance family? Uh, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, I have the very distinguished privilege to teach a, a lot of Sundays, and I'm really grateful that you guys are with us today. Uh, now, uh, I have to warn everybody, uh, around this time of the year, I start to get all up in my feelings uh, because our anniversary is next Sunday, and uh, every time we have an anniversary coming up, I start to replay the tape of all that I've seen God do in the last five years. I start to think about all the people that I've met. And even though there's a hundred challenges in front of me, both personally and uh, with the church, I kind of lose sight of my problems and I start to see just how big of a treasure it is to be at Renaissance. Now, I hope you guys will be here with us next Sunday as we, as we celebrate that, but it's like all of our challenges get small to me, and I can finally see the treasure right in front of me. Uh, if you were to talk to someone close to me, they would let you know that I, I struggle to celebrate almost anything. I struggle to really appreciate and be able to stop and smell the roses, but anniversaries kind of have that effect on you. Anniversaries make you see the treasure which is right in front of you. Now, it's not just with um, a church or my work here at Renaissance. It's also with the relationships that I'm in. Now, my wife and I have a pretty great relationship. She's not here to say otherwise right now. And, uh, but it's so easy for what used to be something that was the most joy-filled and ecstatic thing that I had going uh, to become mundane and even sometimes joyless. I remember when we first started dating, if we went to a restaurant and the waiter would come and he'd say, do you guys know what you want? And she'd say, no, not yet. I would say, take your time. Take your time, baby. It's all good. <laughs> hey, waiter, come back in a half an hour. My baby's still, uh, she's still reading the menu. Now, I'm like, yo, I'm ordering my food now. You can order, put my order in now. She can eat whenever she gets her food and she's not, she's not getting any of my food either. But every time we have an anniversary, uh, I stop and I'm forced to smell the roses, or I'm afforded the opportunity to, to smell the roses. It's interesting, I, I carry this picture in my wallet um, from uh, our wedding day, and it's probably my, <clears throat> my prized possession that I have in my wallet, uh, more than my credit cards because I don't have any money on them, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's something that the photographer gave me, a Polaroid that day to take a picture of her, and every single time near our anniversary I look at it, and it lets me know what, the, what is the innumerable treasure that I have uh, to be married to her. Now, every single day, uh, our life doesn't change. She doesn't somehow morph into something more treasurable, but there are moments in life where we're able to see the treasure that's in front of us better than others. Sometimes it's a date, like an anniversary. Other times, it's a person that lets you know uh, just how wonderful something is that you have in front of you, something that you probably take for granted, um, but their conversation with you just makes you see it for what it is. Uh, this past week, I was talking to my brother, Kevin Davis, and he is uh, one of the leaders at, at Renaissance. And um, man, I love talking to Kevin because every time I leave a conversation with him, I just feel better about myself. Um, uh, he has a, a gift for encouragement, and if you ever talked to him, I'm sure you felt the same way. But we were talking about a bunch of stuff going on at Renaissance, and by the end of the conversation, I was like, yo, he's right. Like, this joint really is amazing. Uh, he was talking about the community that really rallied around him to make him feel loved when life didn't feel so loving. 
He talks about the diversity that even though he's born and raised in Harlem and there's so many different people coming in the community, the, the opportunity that we have to be a peculiar beacon of hope to the entire world to see what kind of family followers of Jesus could form together. And in one short conversation, I can go from thinking about all the problems that I have to seeing the treasure right in front of me. Now, sometimes it's a date, like an anniversary. Other times it's a conversation or a person. But sometimes, really for no reason whatsoever, something just hits you. And you're able to, kindly, to finally stop and to smell the roses and to see a treasure right in front of you that you'd ordinarily miss out on. Now, I love my kids. Most parents would say the same thing. But there is something about listening to the Kids Bop version of Old Town Road um, 19 times in a row that will make you daydream about leaving. Like, would I go to jail if I just left right now? Like, if I left everybody in a rest stop on a turnpike, what, how many years would I face for, for that? But then there are moments where nothing out of the ordinary happens, where I'm able to stop and see the treasure that I have. Most of the time, it happens when they're asleep, right? Am I right? And I look into their room. This happened the other night. I looked into their room, and I was just like, man, what an opportunity I have to raise these two boys. Uh, what a gift it is to me to have these two beautiful, healthy boys. And man, I take it for granted so, so, so often. There are things in our life that we have that are treasures. Many days, you go by, and you don't even notice them. And if you're lucky, something will come along and it will let you know what treasure you have right in front of you. Something that is, that maybe once upon a time was something that filled you with joy, something that filled you with energy, and now it's kind of mundane and joyless. Now, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus tells this parable, two short parables actually, he's talking about something that is a treasure, and it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you every single day, and most days you go by not noticing how much of a treasure it truly is. It comes to us in the book of Matthew, one of the Gospels, uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, and here's Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus here is telling us that the kingdom of heaven, which is right in front of us, is something that's a treasure. Now, in just these three verses, Jesus packs two very power-packed parables, and both of them have the idea of uh, the kingdom of heaven being something that surprises us, and when you see it, when you get it, it fills you with joy, uh, not with obligation, not with terror, not with dread, not with self-hatred, not with a desire to run away and only come back once you have your stuff figured out but rather something so beautiful, so profound, so valuable, that you would sell everything you have, you would take everything you had, and you would throw it away just to get this one thing. Uh, these guys were all in. They saw something that grabbed their attention. They did the math really quickly and realized everything that they had was worthless compared to what they had just seen. And not begrudgingly, but with joy, they happily got rid of everything they had 
just to get it. Now, for the first few years that I was a Christian, uh, I did not see Christianity as something that could fill me with joy. Uh, If you were like me, uh, I thought that a walk with Jesus was basically trading happiness for Jesus. I can't go to the club no more like I used to. I can't do these things. And I basically had Christianity as my I can't do this anymore list. And if I do these things, I'll feel bad. And another list of things that I had to do, and if I don't do these things, I'll feel even worse. For the first few years of being a Christian, that was my approach to Christianity. It was filled with to-dos and don'ts, and it wasn't a treasure to me. To discover Christianity not as something that you uh, don't pursue joy because God wants us to pursue happiness. God wants us to be happy. It's just finding something that will ultimately make you happy. Finding an ultimate source of happiness, uh, not necessarily saying you'll never be happy in life again. Uh, One of the best examples I know about this is uh, the difference between Australian and American ranching. Uh, There's a story of an Australian rancher that tells the difference between how they do things in the outback versus how we do things here in America. If you have been to the South uh, or you have been to Kentucky, shout out to the three people in here from Kentucky. Um, I was like 19. That was a, a decent representation, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, you would, I was in Lexington a couple years ago, and man, you could drive around and see some of the most beautiful white picket fences uh, that just go along these beautiful rolling hills, and it's a sight to see um, all of just the God's nature and, and all of the things put together, and they build these beautiful fences to keep horses in, that if they were to, um, the way that they try to keep their, ho- their horses near themselves is to build fences to keep them from going out. The Australian man told the lesson and talked about the difference between Australian and American ranching. He says, in America, they build fences to keep people in. In Australia, in the vast outback, we don't build fences. We dig wells. We dig deep, deep, nourishing wells of water that the horses never get too far from because they know where the source is. It's something that's compelling and attracting, not something that is demanding and forcing. What's Jesus talking about here? Christianity, the kingdom of heaven, is not more fences. It's a treasure that you can find, and that treasure would always be pulling you back in. If you have approached Christianity as fences, things that have kept you in, you have yet to discover the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus uses this term of the kingdom of heaven, and it's a peculiar term because we don't really use it too often. Oftentimes in the New Testament, you'll see Phrases like the kingdom of God versus or, or the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. These two phrases are used interchangeably, and it means at least three things. It means God's eternal rule, God's nearness in the lives of His people, and God's eventual return in Christ to restore all things. Jesus is saying that these three things, at least these three things, are meant to be sources of inspiration, of awe that if we were to see it, it would make us so compelled that we would get ready to trade everything just to get it. Uh, First is God's eternal rule, that God has no end or beginning and no succession of moments in his being. God sees all time equally and vividly, yet God sees time and acts in their proper spaces as well. God is infinite, meaning he is unlimited, and uh, time time does not limit or change God in any way. 
it's interesting, whenever you look at the New Testament and you see different things that Jesus does, Jesus never seems to be in a rush. He's never in a rush because he's in control of time. Now, the psalmist wrote it like this in Psalm 145:11. It says, "They will speak of your glory, and they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Uh, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and gracious in all His actions." Read that last verse again. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and gracious in all his actions. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's talking about something that has no beginning and no end. And not just that, not just that God is not bound by time, but this eternal God is not just present, but he's near to us. And he's benevolent towards us. And he's gracious to us. Secondly, second and equally important is this concept is that God's kingdom is personal to us. God is not just in an eternal ruler. He is near to his people, and he uses his vast power for our good. There's a scripture in Colossians which talks about a way for us to get a good picture of what God is like, and it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning if you want to get a really clear picture of what God is like, look at Jesus. What do we see about the nearness of Jesus? What do we see about him and his kingdom versus other kingdoms. You see something completely different, and if you were to truly see that the eternal weight of this God is in your favor, in your life, you would get rid of everything just to pursue him. Other kings had jesters and people and whole entourage around them to make them laugh. Jesus is quite opposite. He didn't have jesters and make people perform to make him laugh. Jesus endured the mockery of going to the cross. He was, uh, he permitted crowns of thorns to be placed on his head. He is not the king that wants to mock other people, he endures mockery. Other kings have uh, people who would lift them up through the courts, and you guys have seen this if you've watched an old show about like kings and how they walk through the city streets. They would be lifted up, um, and they would be carried around in chariots just to display how important they were and just to display how fabulous they were. But Jesus, instead of being lifted up and carried around town in a triumphant procession, Jesus was lifted up on the cross that he would go and die for his enemies. Other kings use their power to threaten and to kill anybody who comes in their way. Herod, uh, we see in the book of Matthew and in Luke, tells a story about when Jesus was first born, and Herod, the king at the time, hears about this threat of a new king that is coming. Herod does something absolutely unspeakable. He orders the death of all the firstborn males in the entire village. And scripture says that the mourning and the wailing was unprecedented in that time. Kings in that time would kill anybody who challenged their power. What do we see about Jesus? Jesus doesn't go after his enemies. Jesus dies for his enemies. Romans 5 and 6, while we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus is a much different king. Too many of us See religion, see the gospel, see the kingdom of God as just another version of religion that can make us feel bad about things and do not see the eternal uh, Messiah who has uh, no beginning and no ending, who uses his authority and his power for our good, not to get us back, but to bring us back. Christianity is a treasure. The gospel is a treasure and it's sitting right in front of us. And most days we go by without seeing how beautiful it truly is. 
This is the good news, is why they call it the good news of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it's so good that the best way to describe it is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, and when he stumbles across it, he sells everything he has just to get it. Or like a merchant in search of fine pearls, and when he sees this one so valuable and so precious, he went and sold everything he had just to get it. Now, what I think Jesus is presenting to us is that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. It's sitting right in front of us, and so often we take it for granted. Now, I think it's a couple of things that keep us from seeing it as a treasure. Uh, there's a number of things that keep us from truly treasuring uh, Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of heaven, what it's meant to do in our lives. And one is pretty obvious is that it's invisible. It's meant to be taken by faith. One of the most repeated scriptures in the Bible is the righteous shall live by faith. For we walk not by sight, but by faith. Over and over and over again, we're told that in order to get everything out of, of the walk with God that we're intended to have, we need to walk by faith. And walking by faith is not, it's not easy. The invisible nature of the kingdom, the invisible nature of the gospel, the promises that God asks us uh, to receive, it's not something that we can see as readily as something that is right in front of us, and that's a challenge. But nonetheless, it is uh, the way that God operates. Not only that, but uh, we truly have confused God's eternal kingdom and the gospel, the beauty of all this messaging for religion. We miss out on the true treasure of Jesus uh, who has come to give his life for us, the Holy Spirit that he has promised to never leave us, to nor forsake, nor forsake us, to live in us, to give life to our mortal bodies, to bring us to maturity, to complete the good work that he started, that he's going to come back one day and fix all things and right all things and bring us back with him. And we miss out on that message so much because we've confused it with just religion. What do I need to do today to not feel bad about myself? Rather than what Jesus says in John 6, this is the work of God. You want to do the work that God requires? Great. Believe in the one that he has sent. This is the work that God requires, to believe in the one that he has sent, to believe in Christ, to accept Jesus' words as fact, to accept Jesus' words over us as reality. Now, not just that, but I also think that a lot of times we don't treasure Christ because we're looking for other things to fill that void in our life. We're looking for other treasures. Some theologians would call this idolatry when we're putting trust and hope in something to fix us, to be our ultimate need. Uh, some of you guys have not seen this movie. The Millennials haven't seen it, but uh, Rocky II, uh, you guys have seen Millennials. I believe you've seen Creed. Um, <laughs> but the rest of us, the old people. Uh, in Rocky II, he's sitting on the bed talking to his wife, Adrian, and he says, Adrian, yo, Adrian, if I could just go 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. He was about to fight Apollo Creed, uh, Creed's father uh, that you guys have seen. And uh, his goal, his statement was simple yet profound. If I can do this, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. Not most of us in here are not boxers, but we have filled in that box pretty similarly. If I can just have this, then I'll know that I matter. If I can just do this, then I'll know that I have value and significance. And we don't see the value and the treasure of what God wants to give us because we're placing our hope in other things. Uh, but probably the biggest thing, quite honestly, is that treasuring Christ truly requires that we see a need for him. Right? Have you guys ever heard a sermon or a message about sin or something like that? And you were just like, oh, yeah, I wish, yeah, I wish Keisha was here to hear this because she, yeah, she, she definitely needs to hear this. 
Most of us don't treasure Christ because we don't see a real need for him. Sure, we have our shortcomings. We're better than most other people. Certainly the people that we've given ourselves to grade ourselves against, which again is religion. Religion just sets up a grading system so you can grade yourself against other people. Years ago, um, I was with my late wife in Columbia Presbyterian as she was undergoing chemotherapy for uh, a rare form of cancer. And oftentimes we would see, uh, we would be on a, she would be getting chemotherapy or being monitored for weeks, sometimes a month at a time. So I would basically live in Columbia Presbyterian's oncology ward for a month. And uh, it's peculiar, you would see all of these people walking around with chemotherapy poles, uh, really enduring some pretty, very, pretty difficult times. Chemotherapy is pretty brutal, depending on which version you had. And I'll never forget a conversation with one woman. Um, she could see that my late wife, Danielle, was pretty upset. She says, hey, listen, yes, you feel terrible, but this is what we need to do to live. Nobody would take chemotherapy unless they were convinced that they had cancer. None of us in this room, unless you have cancer, none of us are going to sign up to just go and get an infusion to make yourself sick, to lose your hair. That would bother some people more than others. But uh, none of us would sign up for that unless you were convinced that you had the disease. Oftentimes, when we talk about the beauty of Christ, it, we, it just kind of misses us because I don't think that we see any real need for him. Now, the Bible says that only the Holy Spirit can give that level of conviction, uh, conviction of sin, that Jesus is not a good option to add to your life. Let me go to church and get my life right, you know what I'm saying, fix a couple things. Uh, I've heard one of the most um, concerning definitions of Christianity this day is adding Jesus to a life that we've already chosen. We add Jesus to a life we've already chosen because we don't truly see a need for him. Oftentimes it's because we don't really believe that we're sinners. We don't really truly see how far the gap is between us and the righteousness that God determines and demands. Now, most of us would tell you that we don't even hit our own standards, let alone God's. I think a lot of times we don't feel the depth of our sin or the weight of our sin and how much we truly need Jesus uh, because we're just comparing ourselves to the wrong people. What if you change your comparison from your coworker who you're better than to an infinite and holy God. Uh, when I was in college, I had the distinguished opportunity to play against Muggsy Bogues. And um, Muggsy Bogues was the shortest player in the NBA. I think he was 5'3". And what he lacked in height, he made up for in aggression. Uh, he was the angriest, most aggressive dude I've ever played against in my life. I had spent my entire life up to that point playing basketball against people who were my peers. I had never faced someone in the NBA, and my first time going against an NBA player, I was like, yo, I'm about to get this dude like 30, you know what I'm saying? He's, all the stuff I see on TV, like I would have hit that shot. I absolutely would have hit that shot. And we got, as we, we, soon as we started the game, this dude had like a personal vendetta. He didn't even want you dribbling against him. <laughs> like in the beginning of the game, I was trying to be all cool, like, yo, what's up, bro? He didn't even shake my hand. I was like, all right, it's gonna be a long game. Uh, <laughs> I touched him on his back on the way past. His back felt like a turtle shell. I'm like, this dude, bro, how many push-ups do you do? From the beginning of the game to the very end of it, where I almost faked an injury just to leave, he dominated me in the most brilliant of fashions. I didn't even dribble. Like every, he ripped me so many times. He pushed me around. Man, I wanted nothing to do with Muggsy Bogues. And I got a taste 
of what a real NBA player was like. I had been comparing myself to the guys I was playing intramurals with. And when I finally stepped up to what was pro-level talent, I saw myself for what I really was. There's a scripture that talks about what is required for us to face and to see God on our own. And it comes to us in Psalms. It says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, from the God of his salvation. Paul, who here has a clean heart and pure hands? Your heart is undefiled. Your hands are pure. Your hands are clean and your heart is absolutely pure. None of us. A lot of times we miss out on the treasure of Christ because we don't have that conviction. And one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about later, how to uh, get more treasure, to treasure Christ more, is to pray for uh, God to show us ways in our life that we're, we're missing it, that we're missing out on uh, all that Christ is, for, for God to give us that conviction from his Holy Spirit. Now, for the rest of our time here today, I want to draw out three implications from the text um, that will help us to rediscover the treasure which is Christ and his kingdom in our life. Well, the first implication I want to talk about is for you to give up your small ambitions. Give up your small ambitions. What do we see here in the text? We see two different people and both with varying levels of resources. Uh, the first one in the parable is probably not the wealthiest person because he sees something in the field and sells everything he has to get the field. Fields in that day were not that expensive, and um, it's very likely that he was not the wealthiest person in the world. And the second person, the, the merchant dealing with pearls, probably was more wealthy. Um, but still, this wealthy merchant sells everything he has just to get this one beautiful pearl. Uh, it, there's, back in the day, um, pearls were probably the most valuable jewel, and uh, there's stories of ancient queens who had pearls, one pearl worth, I think, about um, modern-day equivalent, $45 million. So that's how valuable a, a pearl could be. And if you were a merchant, let's just say you were doing well, you sold your million-dollar business for a $45 million pearl, that's a come up. What is Jesus saying to us in this? He's saying, I think he's challenging us to think about what our ambitions are in life. What do you want? What are you going after? What are you in pursuit of? Here's what Jesus is saying, first and foremost. Whatever that is, that's nothing compared to what God offers. Paul, in uh, the book of Philippians, the third chapter, says he, he runs down this laundry list of everything that he has accomplished. He is a, a Hebrew from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He excelled beyond anybody else in his, in his day. And yet, what does he say? And all that stuff to me was worthless compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is saying that to have found, to have discovered this treasure, Everything in your life would seem like a small ambition. Personally, I wrestle so much with ambition and selfish ambition sometimes, uh, where I have so many things in my brain about what I would love to accomplish, what I would love to see happen in my life. And slowly but surely, uh, those things start to crowd out God and his kingdom of what God would have for me, and I start to just think about what I want for myself. The first implication is for us to reevaluate our our ambitions, and to see how small they truly are. Uh, the second implication I want to talk about is to find the treasure. Christianity requires that you sell everything. 
It requires that you sell everything. Now, a lot of us would, would love to push like half of our chips to the table just in case it doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. But to truly experience the treasure of Christianity, not to earn it, not to buy it, but to truly ex experience the, the treasure of what it is, it requires that you go all in. Now, we're in this series of growing up, and uh, the reason we're including this message in this series is because in order for you to truly grow up, it requires that you go all in. In order for you to go all in, it's going to require that you see Christianity and the gospel as a treasure to be pursued, not as a chore to be done. It requires that we push everything to the center of the table. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, I took a freshman orientation, and it was a pass or fail class. And the only requirement for freshman orientation was that you attend. So it, it was in a big lecture hall. People would come there straight up in their pajamas, like ready for a nap. As soon as they would sign in, they would hit their desks and put their head down. Uh, one of my friends on the football team would just lay out in the aisle and just take a nap for like, he'd put a hoodie over his head and just go to sleep because there was nothing required of him other than attendance. The Bible warns against this level of participation in James who would be hearers but not doers, who would want to put a couple of their chips to the center of the table and not all of them. What Jesus is, is asking for, no, make no mistake about it, it is kind of daunting that we go all in, but it is something that is re required if we're going to experience it for the treasure uh, that it is. A couple of ways that you and I could go all in, um, a, a couple of them. The first one is something I've been thinking about this last couple of weeks is baptism. Now, baptism uh, 2,000 years ago was much more of a dangerous thing than it is today, but because it came with complete association with a new way of life, a complete association with a new family, to leave all things behind and to go forward. And this is why baptism was and is done publicly to celebrate it and to uh, hopefully show the beauty of what God is doing in, in your life. I've talked to a lot of people about baptism, and for a lot of people, they're like, uh, Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know if I really want to be that public in my faith. And what essentially they're saying is I don't want to sell everything I have. I don't want to risk my reputation just in case. Another way is just the way that we spend our money. You could check your bank account to see what your treasure truly is. Jesus says that where your heart is, your treasure will be there also. Other ways are the way that we go about our bodies and our relationships you can see what you truly treasure. Is it waiting for God, or is it uh, doing you and doing your own way? Full disclosure, I've done me plenty of times before in the past as well. But it's never turned out to be worth it. In order for us to truly experience a treasure that is Christ, it requires that we sell everything. Uh, years ago, I went ziplining, and uh, you get a, a real encounter with how much you trust in something when you are hovering over a uh, hundred foot gap between you and cement, and you know that your future hangs in the life of a 16-year-old who was checking Snapchat as they, <laughs> as they connected your lines. I'm like, bro, I need you to, no, put the phone down. Let's, let's make sure I hear that click again. I need to hear that click. Do it again. I didn't, it didn't click loud enough for me. Ziplining shows us what reliance is like, that if this thing breaks, I go down with it. Is your, the way that you're living with your life right now, the way you're doing with your money, if, if God breaks, if God doesn't come through, if God doesn't 
if God isn't who he says he is in Scripture, will your life break along with it? This is the type of, uh, this is what we see as required for us. Again, not to buy Christianity, not to earn your salvation, but to truly experience the pleasures of it. And the last thing we see from this text that I want to talk about is um, what we get in response to our surrender is something much better. If you think about this the concept of, like, is something expensive, right? Like, is $500 expensive? That depends. Is it for a nail clipper or is it for a Porsche? If it's for a Porsche, if it's for a Tesla, then that joint is cheap. You would gladly spend $500 for a brand new Tesla, but you wouldn't spend $500 for something that might not be as valuable. I think what we're looking at and we're seeing in the scripture is how valuable Christianity is and how far exceeding it is. Jesus is giving us a contrast to say it's not expensive because it's so much more valuable than everything else we could have in our life. Jim Elliott was a missionary, and he said a quote years ago um, uh, that has stuck with me for, the, for my entire life ever since I heard it, and he said it like this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Everything you have, you won't be able to keep it. Your relationship, your looks, your charm, uh, everything that you have, your money, everything that you have, one day you won't have it anymore. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When we think about living our lives uh, for the sake of Christ and, and pushing all, everything we have to the center of the table, is it expensive? Yes, but it's not expensive compared to the surpassing knowledge of what it looks like to live and to breathe and to abide with God. So I want to leave us with a couple of really practical things that I do when I don't see Jesus as a treasure that I'm not on a high horse here talking from a soapbox, that I spend 365 days a year treasuring Christ. I, I, I don't do that at all. And here's some things that I do when I notice that my relationship with God tends to be joyless and, and empty and mundane and just something else to do. Uh, number one is I pray for the awareness of blind spots or hidden sin in my life, which is keeping me from experiencing God. Number one, pray for awareness of blind spots or sin that would keep us from experiencing and treasuring Christ. Uh, there's a scripture in Matthew where Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, uh, if anybody, if, while you stand praying, if your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go make up with your brother, and then come back and present your gift. Uh, what is Jesus saying in that scripture? He's saying that there are, there are some parts of our own behavior that are limiting us from experiencing God, that some things that would just keep us from experiencing God, that it's not 100% the prayers that we pray or the attitudes of our heart, but sometimes there are things and decisions that we've made that are blocking us from experiencing what God wants to have in our lives. The psalmist also says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. It's a prayer that I would love for you guys to pray. Search me, God, and see if there's anything inside of me that's offensive, and then lead me in the way everlasting. The second one is counterintuitive a little bit. It's to, to pray for affection. I think our self-reliance culture makes us want to have it internally on our own that we would just wake up and spontaneously have a zeal and a passion for, for God, and man, that couldn't be more incorrect. Oftentimes, we just need to pray that God would fill us 
with affection, that God would make us aware of how much of a treasure uh, he is. The third one is, is pretty simple also. It's to get around people who are hot. If you're cold, put yourself around someone else who's not. One of the reasons we, we have community groups here, and again, tomorrow is the last day to register for them, is because we want other people to be around other people who might be hotter for God than others. And if you're hot and you feel a, a burning passion, one of the most beautiful things about life is a candle loses none of its light or its heat by lighting another candle on fire. You won't lose anything by lighting someone else on fire. Uh, but oftentimes in our life, we're, we're not hot and we isolate, and that does the opposite effect. Uh, over the summer, we had one of my friends, Edwin Cologne, come and preach to us during our mixtape series. And Edwin is a, is a dear friend. And every single time I'm around Edwin, I just feel like, yo, I want to be a Christian. Like that, this dude is, you convinced me, bro. Like that, this is really good. He just has the, the gift of encouragement. And oftentimes he's so passionate that it makes me remember why I fell in love with God in the first place. So the third thing is to get around people that will make you hot, that get around people that will light you on fire and to help stir your heart. And last one is, uh, is for you to keep doing the good things that you know you, you, should, you should be doing. In Galatians 6 and 9 and 10, it says, Be not weary in well-doing, for you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Keep doing the good things. Keep reading the Psalms. Keep reading Scripture. Keep going to community group. Keep serving. Keep doing everything that you know to do to be correct, trusting that in the end you will receive a harvest if you don't give up. Don't give up doing what you know to be right because God does have a reward for us so for us to persist and to keep doing what we know to be right. Uh, this past week, last Sunday, we talked about reading John together as a community, and it's a beautiful first step and next step for everybody to really go along with us reading the book of John. And if you don't know where to start, um, your entry point is to start with John 6 tomorrow. Monday to Friday, read a chapter a day. Uh, spend time in it. Let it speak to you. Let it move you. Uh, and on the weekends, you can catch up if you miss a day or not. But pick up with us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, you are good. Um, and you are more than we can imagine, can think, uh, can accomplish in our own life. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the treasure for what you are. And I pray that you would help us, give us the confidence and the boldness to clear everything out of the way to go and get it. Comfort us, God. Compel us. Convict us. Move us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.